Hello, and welcome to The Bucket Problem, episode 49. I am your host, Ace Ambender, and I am joined today by Dan and Connor. We are, as always, presented by Homefield Apparel and PointsBet, and we're a proud member of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. This week, we'll be talking uh, realignment. We do have to address it, um, but it's it's not NIL, and uh, you know that means we're one of the good ones. Um, and we will also be going through Dan's uh, final rankings of the uh, offenses in the Big Ten heading into the 2022 season. We have hit every offensive position group, and it's time to uh, put them all together. Uh, but first, uh, we've got some big moods. Um, Dan, I think we should start with yours to kind of set the tone for how we feel in this first segment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I don't know if you guys heard about this. Uh, have you heard about this? Have you seen about this? Um, USC and UCLA are joining the Big Ten effective in 2024. What? Um, what? No. Hold on. Back <laughs> up. No way. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, the Big Ten had a bylaw that said um, that any new members had to be part of contiguous states. But you won't believe it, but that they immediately overturned that. Shocking. I can't believe it. Indiana fans still mad. I saw a blue check I won't name tweet about like, Oh yeah, I, I would I would hold the, I would hold the phones on this one. Uh, the Big Ten has a bylaw that any new member states, <laughs> any new member schools have to be in contiguous states. I'm like, yeah, okay, for sure, yeah, and and that, that that's like respecting precedent on the Supreme Court. It's like, yeah, I would I would hold the phone here. There's some precedent <laughs> that that rocks too because like there have been so many good joke tweets since realignment started that like genuinely good content, but that's actually the funniest tweet <laughs> yes. oh yeah that's so good it's the so best good. ones are not made in jest uh, they are made seriously like, by people like a, i don't know <laughs> to, to imagine like that like a big 10 bylaw is going to stand between this conference and like comical briefcases full of money is 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 truly like you have the bank the brain of a small child but um, and they were they were really already pushing that with the whole New York and Mar- or New Jersey and Maryland right. thing. Like I know I know Pennsylvania's in the in the area, but come on now. Right, right, exactly. It's it's like in risk where like Alaska and Russia are just barely touching. It's like okay, you can move troops there, but I'm not happy about it. <laughs> you got a hell of a navy, sir. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so um, uh, my t- my take on it is that. It's going to be fine. Um, look, college ball is changing. Um, I don't know if, again, you know, big news here, big take, but like college ball has been changing pretty significantly for basically since I've been watching it. Um, like every year, there's something that changes in a big way, whether it's realignment or, you know, the targeting rules or um, just like the way offenses are run, uh, recruiting rules, now NIL, like all this stuff. And like, yeah, those changes do have effects and like there will be there will be consequences of those. But I think overall, like the people that are saying like, oh, well, you know, this is going to get rid of the rivalries that we all love. And and that's true. But we've seen rivalries die before. You know, I mean, like Texas and Texas A&M, like that's that's no longer a rivalry. But now there's like, you know, there's new. I don't know. I don't know if better, but like good rivalry still. And hell, that rivalry is going to come back now. So like, I mean, speaking I, I as think, a Michigan fan, I would definitely hate it if we didn't have oh, you know, eight, eight rivalry games <laughs> every year that we lost most of the time. That would suck. I, I really hope we keep getting our asses kicked by Ohio State for the next hundred years. <laughs> Bro, I would I would absolutely hate it if Kevin Warren took Ohio State off our schedule every year. Ooh. Someone oh, better man. not do that. Oh, yeah, God, that would dude. ruin would, it. <laughs> that would if, if they got rid of the pageantry of the game every year uh, and like made my Thanksgivings like tolerable again. I would hate that, Kevin Warren. <laughs> um, 
but I uh, actually hate that. I, I just I feel know, the I need know. to point that out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I do, I do hate State. it. Yeah, well, I would, I, I would, I it would wouldn't feel not, right. It, it wouldn't be good. But like, would I take like a nice eleven and one season that I'd have to feel bad about? Like, yeah, I would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be upset about it. Um, Look, it's it's like I, I'm, you know. Uh, the one part of like my Jewish identity that I actually follow through on <laughs> is uh, uh, fasting on Yom Kippur. So I feel like uh, that's my other penance weekend is like, you know, Ohio state, if it doesn't go like it did last year, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's religious in many ways to me. Is, is Ohio state, Michigan, Yom Kippur for Gentiles from the Midwest? Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. We're, we're not, we're not going to dig into that or elaborate. We, we need to reflect on what we've done wrong. <laughs> yeah. Let's pull in some other religions and, and do, and do really so while being analogies. physically very uncomfortable. Wow. Another, another fix theology episode. We've <laughs> we got it one. back from, oh, from it's the been team too that, long. The, from the team that brought you Mormonism and Catholicism are basically the same comes <laughs> <laughs> Gentile young <Yom> Kippur. <laughs> from the guy who's an Italian from suburban Philly, but somehow went to like a Presbyterian school or something or Presbyterian church. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> Lutheran. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, but yeah, no. So uh, ultimately, I think it's gonna be fine. Um and at least we're not talking about NIL for a week. And that's my genuine take. It was so nice not talking about NIL for like the thousand straight week in a row in a row. Um, and I think that like, yeah, like, you know, USC, UCLA, it's going to be awkward, but like, there's going to be great rivalries that come out of that, especially when Notre Dame co- joins the conference in like two years, probably. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, look, I don't know where college football headed. I don't know if it's gonna be better than it was, but I think there's things that like, look, the, if this eventually leads to like, a more serious uh, sport of college football where there's a more centralized, you know, like power structure and all of the teams that are serious about football are in, are, are like all in it together and, and competing for the same championship. Like I think this eventually could lead, you know, the polarization between the sec and the big 10 could lead to a more professionalized sport with some of the same traditions and, you know, like names behind the jerseys, but, more parody. And that's what everyone really wants. Like, you know, every, we're going to get to a and point where games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying it's all good. Like, I'm sure there's gonna be bad things about this. Um, it is like, you know, a hundred percent like about money. Um, but I think that, I think that if we can get to like, we're going to get to a point in a couple of years where people are going to be like, Oh, pining for the good old days of like when Alabama won the title every year. You know what I mean? Like yeah. these are going to be, these are going to be the good old days one day. And these aren't that good. Like we're not have like, I don't know. Like I like college football. I love watching college football. I love watching Michigan, but like this, this whole thing with like the, the super monopoly of like Clemson, Ohio state, Georgia, Alabama, like, and not even Clemson anymore, probably like Alabama, Georgia, you know, Ohio state, like this isn't the good old days, you know, it it can get better. And like any change towards like a more professionalized league is going to mean more parity. And that's what everyone says they want at the end of the day. And I mean, none of us are watching this because of the org chart. Like we, we watch it because of the games. So unless they're changing the fundamental product, I don't think any of us are going to be going away. Uh, yeah. I mean, I already root for laundry. I'm not also going to root for a specific spreadsheet that never changes. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, yeah. We're, we're already past the point of no return with, with fandom here. <laughs> yeah. I just also want to say like to Dan's point of professionalization, like how much cooler would this sport be if you had like national champions that 
you know, maybe lost multiple games in the regular season because they played other good teams several times. That would be objectively better. Like, like it's no as, fun. as opposed to the good old days of playing Towson uh, once a year. <laughs> or yeah, like I mean, that we caliber. Take, <laughs> we take a step back here and just say, like, how much of a waste of everyone's time is it when Alabama plays the Citadel or you know Michigan plays a directional? Like, it's just it's not something we need in the sport. I want good teams playing each other um, and having a good reason to do so. That's that's objectively better. Uh, disrespect to Michigan State to say that <laughs> directional is a waste of time. That's true. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, as a Michigan fan, we barely get to make that joke, but we still can. Thank goodness. Um, all right, Connor, I might as well just kick it right back to you for uh, your big mood. So I have a very specific take about realignment, which is that um, there's a very possible future here in which, in addition to many other good academic institutions that are already in the Big Ten or are joining, it's actually very possible that at some point we're going to have Stanford, Duke, and Notre Dame in the Big Ten. And the funniest thing about that to me will be that there will still be a significant subset of Michigan fans and authority figures within the institution who act like Michigan is the only school that does big time sports and academics. Like Stanford's going to be like right there on the football schedule every year and they'll still be saying it. And it's going to be very funny because it is like one of the deep sort of quirks and pathologies of Michigan fandom. Uh, and it would be purely funny if it didn't also translate into things like, you know, absurd medieval transfer rules uh, and the acronym <laughs> that I'm not going to say right now. But I also want to say bigger picture take. Um, this is all very good for Michigan, I think, because Michigan's position in college football is not under threat. Uh, you know, they're one of the true financial and historical and fan based juggernauts of the whole sport. It's a really lucky position to be in. It makes it really hard for your position to like get worse, really. And like the, Michigan's position over the last decade was about as bad as it can feasibly get because Michigan was trapped in a conference where our sworn enemy, our arch rival, ran the show for the last 20 years, basically. Um, in a way that uh, I don't probably have to remind anyone hearing this was not very much fun. Um, and anything that dilutes Ohio State dominance in the Big Ten is good for Michigan. Anything that dilutes SEC hegemony in the sport, I think, is going to be good for Michigan. Like all of these moves are ultimately good for Michigan. And the only thing Michigan really needs to address is um, the stuff that I'm not allowed to talk about. So in, in general, <laughs> in general, the past week has been actually, I would say, quite positive, especially over the longer term for Michigan. So that's good. Yeah, um, Connor's not Connor's not allowed to say any three letter acronyms on this podcast, um, <laughs> and neither for, are for, you for various reasons. Plausible deniability. <laughs> All right, um, my big mood was originally about Michigan's approach to name, image, and likeness. My way around that three letter acronym, uh, but uh, please rate us five stars and write a review about how much you appreciate us not talking about uh, that three letter acronym. Um, my big mood instead is uh, please check your sources. Because uh, today's big realignment rumor that set Twitter on fire, um, and I realized uh, as I'm saying that, that, um, you know, there's probably only a handful of you that actually noticed this because uh, Twitter is not real life. But, you know, sometimes it is. And sometimes people, like, text these tweets to people and that, like, these, these rumors come out of nowhere. And I just want to say that today's big realignment rumor was brought to you by Swim Swam News. What, it's, it's, a, it's a swimming news site. And uh, as uh, Matt Brown of Extra Points uh, newsletter fame uh, pointed out um, or re-pointed out, uh, I mean, this more applies to journalists and him pointing this out because there were actual journalists, uh, you know, like passing this rumor along. 
um, or talking about it as if it didn't come from a source with like that had like a 0% chance of being the first to have this information, um, which was about a number of PAC 12 schools uh, joining the big 10. Um, like, especially in these cases where it involves like the presidents of universities signing off on deals, uh, there's only going to be a very limited set of people who have the connections to bring you anything viable. And until then, it's not worth listening to any of this stuff because it's all bullshit. Uh, so we're, we're entering the golden age of saying whatever the fuck you want. Um, and, and just, and just having it like be treated with credibility. Um, people are, are reporting just whatever they want. Um, you know, and if you have a blue check mark next to your name, that's going to get like, that's going to do like a, you know, 3,205, like, you know, 15 K slash line on Twitter. Um, that's, that's not a very good, like idea, like idea of what the numbers tweets actually do, but like, it's going to do numbers on Twitter and like, people are going to retweet it without checking the, the, uh, the veracity. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really awesome. If you're just like a blue check trying to get a couple thousand followers (laughs) in a day, you can just, you can just say that like, you know, any team is coming to the big time. And, and I, you I can always this. say that circumstances changed when you know you inevitably right out. exactly. <laughs> My sources have changed what they're saying. Yeah. I, I, I noticed this especially well, the old Chris Bayless special <laughs> when when Harbaugh yeah when Harbaugh maybe leaving for the Vikings was like you know uh, a national story briefly. Um, I noticed especially it's like a lot of there are people out there that have blue checks that were like fired from like a local news job two years ago and are still trying to get clout who will like be like my sources are saying Jim Harbaugh to the Vikings is a done deal and people would like quote tweet some of that and and spread it around and it's like guys the only person who's gonna have this scoop like you're gonna know it's real when Adam Schefter says it that's pretty much it like it's him (laughs) what you gotta do is uh um go into MS Paint take the Oregon Duck and do a very obvious kind of jagged cutout of the Oregon duck and put it onto a picture of Big Ten headquarters. And then uh, your local congressperson is going to retweet you and say it's happening. Um, <laughs> sorry, I should not have done that. But uh, no, I are. mean, that's yeah, that, that's the stuff <laughs> we're seeing right now. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, we will not get into what the inspiration for that at all. Um, so anyway, this might as well just dovetail right into our full blown discussion of the USC and UCLA news, as if we haven't already been talking about it through uh, all three of our big moods. Um, I, I mean, and I think we've answered a couple of the questions I threw in our outline already. But like, I, I think, I mean, I, my initial reaction when the news dropped was there's way too much shit happening in the world right now for me to care about which schools are in the Big Ten. I have slightly backed off of that stance given my profession, but uh, I'm still having a hard time like fully throwing myself into like, man, I have a strong opinion about this. Uh, I do think that uh, our conversation has actually been kind of representative so far and that we've been looking at it uh, 100% from the perspective of football. And um that I don't think necessarily like the travel concerns that people voice are the real travel concerns that will exist in this conference. But for a lot of sports, um, the added travel time, the added teams in the conference, um, just uh, the lack of a geographical connection here, that's uh, that's going to be, this isn't the, it, it's, 
it's not a surprise that this isn't the best thing for the athletes. Like, as we said before, like this is, this is about money and um, it might be the best thing for football programs. And uh, it helps that football programs play a limited amount of games that are uh, nicely spaced apart. Um, But for some of these other sports, this is, this is going to suck. Like there's, there's no two ways around. Like uh, this is, this is not going to be cool. If uh, you're traveling for, you know, a midweek basketball game and you go from Rutgers to UCLA uh, that, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that sucks. (laughs) We need to get to a point. I I think that it's going to have to happen at a certain point that football and to a lesser, lesser extent, men's basketball are going to have to be divorced from athletic departments or just like the rest of an athletic department. I think you can, extent, I think you can limit it to football, but yes, yeah, I, honestly, I, I, do, I, I do agree that there needs to be a separation. Like it's just, it's just not, I mean, I'm sorry. Like, and I, you know, like we've, we've covered women's basketball or we've covered like non-rev sports. I really do enjoy them. Um, like genuinely, not just as like a performative thing. Um, but like, it, it's just, we're not talking about the same animal here, you know, like football is a, di- like this is a professionalized league and it needs to be, it needs to be separate and the leagues need to be separate because yeah, it doesn't make sense for the swimming team to be making trips to UCLA. Like it doesn't make sense for anyone besides football team. Basically. I mean, the basketball team, I guess, like you could say is, is, you know, making revenue obviously, but like it's that even that it's like on a whole other planet than what the football team is going to be making. So yeah, no, that's, that's just my opinion. And I feel like that's, we're just going to have to head in that direction eventually. Yeah, I mean, I feel like for Olympic sports, anything that is like truly non-revenue, they're going to end up having to agree to like all meet in Lincoln, Nebraska or something. Like just it's going to have to be creative and it's not going to be what it once was about, you know, home and aways and stuff like that. They already do a lot of like quad gymnastics meets and stuff like that where you get. Yeah, I think you'll just see more swimming meets and stuff like that. You get a lot of just, you know, here are four, eight teams in the same building. I will say, though, one thing, especially given like uh traditional big 10 weather versus the new additions like having known a lot of non-revenue sport athletes in my time they were always stoked about like going to la in the depths of winter so you see usc and ucla are not like going to depress like the track team too much i don't think but on the other yeah. hand if you're at usc or ucla i am yeah yeah so sorry <laughs> well that's not my problem okay <laughs> dude it's gonna be so good to watch like some usc quarterback that has literally never like been in a temperature under 70 degrees come to uh columbus in november that's going to be the best and, and just be like the anti-brett Favre. we're going to get like the usc <laughs> quarterback but like there's going to be some like running stat of like usc quarterbacks are owen 17 in november with a passer rating of negative three and it's it's going to be beautiful like, like a run yet a wide receiver going to come across the middle and take a shot to the ribs and just like get up like sobbing the game <laughs> like, that the, i really the, <laughs> yeah I, I really just want to see like a, a, a night Kinnick with a snowstorm with one of the California teams. Like how awesome would that be? Especially with USC, Lincoln Riley, like that's uh, the possibilities. The Kirk Ferentz beating Lincoln Riley is what is getting me through <laughs> like this. this it, it's, it's the idea of that so happening, funny. the idea of that happening. And I, and I credit to Ben. Um, I, I, I realized I did a tweet that was basically like a copy of his and that's, that's on me. I didn't, it was, it was parallel thinking, but yeah, the idea of that happening is so it's just the funniest possible thing that I can imagine is can I can is I like, take it up one more notch? 
Brian yeah. Ferentz beating Lincoln Riley. Because <laughs> you know, because because that's the thing is like Brian Ferentz has one genius brain game plan in him like every three years. And if that were if that were to happen against USC, like maybe even in like in LA, oh my God, I would lose it. Could you well, like those- I, Iowa win games wins games like really remarkable upset games sometimes, even when Brian Ferentz does not have an out-of-body experience. <laughs> also, yeah, like Lincoln true. Riley, Lincoln Riley is among the top people who are getting rug pulled by this because, like, you know, he he went out there thinking it was going to be easier. Like, recruiting would only get easier. Um, you know, there'd be like, you know, at worst, similar amounts of defense being played. Probably, probably have like two other less. top twenty-five teams in the conference. <laughs> yeah, and now he has to play teams that like you know actually play defense and that actually like expect him to play defense, which is going to be like I, I that's never been something he's good at, been good at. So that'll that'll get interesting. Meanwhile, Chip Kelly is just like I'm probably not going to be there by this point. So whatever. <laughs> Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly stopped caring like. 10 years ago. I don't he's, know why he's, he's still... <laughs> he has not updated the playbook. It still has Oregon's logo on it and it's just scribbled <laughs> out and he's written UCLA on it. In, in he, he's like, he's explaining, he's like explaining to freshmen, like how to run the zone read. It's like, coach, this is all we've run in high school. Like I've, I've been running this my entire life. Like I know how to run the zone read. Like, can, can we add something to this? Like, it's like if, the, it, if the defensive end bites, you pull the ball. Okay. Can we add a passing option on here, please? <laughs> Uh, uh yeah no it'll be um it'll be interesting to see what those programs look like when they join we also don't know when they're joining yet so um there's a lot still up in the air i guess our next thing is do we want to see the big 10 add more schools it's hard i mean as i mentioned earlier there's a lot of bullshit going around but um it does seem like from the more credible end of things that um the big 10 is not necessarily looking to expand anymore right now um in particular they're not uh looking to add the pacific northwest schools like oregon and washington that might be enticing um well to potentially you know add television markets which i think is kind of an outdated way of looking at things in the age of streaming um and you know might also be interesting from a football standpoint and interesting in that you know michigan has a little bit of history with each of those schools on the football field um although uh Sorry for breaking up Oregon in that context, but uh, Washington, uh, we beat them last year. That was fun. Um, yeah. Uh, so do we want, like, obviously there's, there's the Notre Dame uh, seems like less that's where of I'm a pipe dream it. thing uh, out there. Yeah. yeah. I that, think that's, I that's think where that's I'm at. Like, where... It's, it's gotta be Notre Dame. Like it's like, they, I want them, I want them to join the conference. Cause it's just, I mean, it, look, they're going to have to join a conference. Like it's going to be, it's going to get to the point that, these conferences are going to be so big, like they're going to move to maybe even a larger conference schedule. Notre Dame is not going to be able to play enough competitive teams to be considered for the college football playoff. Um, and they're going to put themselves at disadvantage. And eventually, probably these two leagues are going to become like the winner of each league just plays each other for the national championship, which is probably how it should work. Maybe like the, the G5 champion gets in and or whatever. Right. But um, or we have a whole to... other round of realignment after this in which these right. leagues splinter. Exactly. So, like, I think that, you know, like, the Notre Dame just makes perfect sense. It should be in the Big Ten. It's spiritually in the Big Ten. They have they have rivalries with everyone in the conference. Like, that's the team I want. That's I would actually get excited about that. Like, I would love that. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, like, they don't want to join the SEC. Like, they, 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 they don't want that. Like, they don't that, – that doesn't make any sense. Um and I, so I think the Big Ten should wait for Notre Dame and then probably take like, 
whoever else to balance it out. Um, maybe like a, I, I've heard North Carolina thrown around. Um, I would, I personally would love Pitt, um, but I've, I've yeah. heard that there's reasons that might not happen. Um, but you know, yeah, like, like Notre Dame's got to be the next one. Like I would hold their spot basically. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and like big, the bigger picture stuff I think is also crucial. Like Notre Dame should be the top priority. I, I think we're, you know, we're going to head towards trying basically like a South conference and a non-South conference. I think that's, that seems like the inevitable track we're on. And like I said, that could lead to that another round of splintering, but like, I think we're headed there and with an expanded playoff of some kind. Um, I also think like the really good thing about this, even from a non-Michigan point of view, is it just like it's showing that there are limits to the SEC's power. There was a pretty scary moment when we were like, okay, is the SEC just going to like wreck the sport single-handedly? Are we going to let them do that? And like, no, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that, you know, the non-SEC collectively will remain very important and um, distinct. And, you know, I, I think better. Like, I just think as a Michigan fan, this is all basically just entirely positive for Michigan. It's way more complicated if you're Northwestern and it's like your chances of winning anything have probably only gone down. Not that they were great to begin with, but like (laughs) from Michigan's point of view, from Michigan's point of view, the last 15 to 20 years have been awful. Absolutely awful. Like about as bad, as bad as it's ever gotten in the history of the program for a lot of reasons, structural and otherwise. Uh, I think it's only going up from here over the long run anyway. So, Hey. Yeah. And I, I mean, we'll see what happens in terms of, I mean, these schools or the big Ten could very well stay at 16. That is a very workable number. Once you get beyond that, you get into like, do we expand to something like 10 or 11 conference games? Is this a conference? Um, like it, it's not really a conference at that point. So I don't know whether the future also involves, I mean, the sec is going to get unwieldy unwieldy in a hurry too. And they have some schools that are, you know, kind of odd fits at this point. Um, the big 10 has records. Um, you know, I don't know if we see conferences go, okay. Uh, it's been nice having you, but we're, uh, we're heading in a bigger and better direction as a conference and we see, can't I have just, you anymore. I, I, I hear that, but I don't, I just don't see that happening, you know, cause I think the people that are voting on this don't want to set that precedent. Like, I don't think Northwestern wants to set the precedent that you can kick schools out. You know what I mean? I'm assuming um, Northwest would be kicked out here, <laughs> <laughs> or like, or who, but whoever's next up on the totem pole, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I don't think true. they want to set that precedent of like, and honestly, like for a lot of these teams, it's like, you know, or a lot of these conferences, it's like, all right, well, you know, like what's like what's the difference if we're carrying some dead weight in Rutgers? Like, we do still get those TV markets, and like that is still something, and you know, like yeah, like we can these te- these conferences are gonna be so big that people like teams aren't playing every team anyway so you get the big matchups you want then you get a couple cupcakes and it's you know i don't know i i i i i think it's an interesting question because i could see it happening but i just don't think it's like very likely given given like the mechanisms that would that would have to like be in place to kick a school out of a conference i also think this is just going to lead to more realism about like the roles that schools play in conferences i mean like one reason i've never understood why michigan fans were so mad about like maryland and rutgers being on their schedule is like as dad said you get your cupcakes that's part of the deal (laughs) like and and you know i mean i i guess if rutgers is gonna wants to agitate for like you know, preferential treatment and like being able to pick who their so-called rivalries are and stuff like, yeah, that could get annoying. But 
I don't know. I mean, aren't they just happy to be there? Rutgers and Maryland, aren't they going to be even more happy to be there and even more relegated to just like, yeah, these are like uh, cupcakes that you get if you want. And um, that's the way that it is rather than like the, the pretending that these te- that these programs are equal in the conference. They never have been and they never will be. And I feel like we're just getting more honest about that, to be on- to be frank. Yeah, it'll probably be worth the paycheck to these schools to be doormats. Uh, I mean, because that I mean, the differential between being in one of these conferences and not is only getting bigger in terms of revenue. So, yeah, kicking a team out I get, will would have pretty massive ramifications. So I, I do get the everyone having each other's backs just in case, you know, you're the next one to get backstabbed kind of approach at the same time. Uh, some of these schools have been pretty ruthless in terms of leaving conferences behind and leaving uh, other schools in uh, pretty garbage situations. So uh, I think that, I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll see like how self-interest shapes realignment because that is ultimately what is going to shape realignment. Yep. <laughs> uh, we're in a true, a true, uh, you know, I, I think that the farce of like tradition and all that is just crumbling by the day. Uh, it's every every program for themselves out there. And honestly, that's how it should be because Michigan will take every opportunity to pretend that they're not going to act that way. And I, I want them to have fewer and fewer excuses to not just, yeah, do everything they can to win. Well, and let's <laughs> let's also note that like college football has always been a, a changing product. Yep. Um, Michigan's primary rivals are no longer Minnesota and the University of Chicago. Um, like things do change over time. Wisconsin used to be a doormat program. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that you can point to even within the big 10, you know, it wasn't that long ago that people were um, greatly upset at adding Penn state to the conference. And at this point for, I think most college football fans like Penn state is such a natural part of the big 10 that it's almost weirder to imagine them as an independent. Um, I mean, I feel that way about like Nebraska, you know, like I, I think about them as, you know, part of the Big Ten and like a, a really natural fit as well. Dan was born in 2014. So we <laughs> um, Dan is wearing those dinosaur shorts right now as we're recording this. <laughs> um, yeah. So like I, I, I understand why, especially from like the end of like fans of USC or UCLA and like Texas and Oklahoma that there's a feeling of like, man, we're really leaving a lot behind here uh, in terms of like all our traditional rivals and also like getting to play most of the teams that we can like travel to go see our team play without hopping on an airplane. Um, that uh, like as a fan, I would hate that if I like if I was a USC or UCLA fan and I w- especially if I was like in school and I had like the free time to, you know, go to road games um, like I know California is a very, very large state, so it's not like they could just hop in a car and drive to Washington on a whim. Uh, I mean, you could, but it, it'd be a long ass drive. But um, you know, for them to not have Cal and Stanford there, like um, it's it's weird, and I would be upset to not be able to have those experiences if I was a fan of one of those programs. But I'm not, so like I don't know. I I don't care that much. Uh, I just I can't bring myself to, especially since we're going to get more change. I, ju- I just assume that's, that this is kind of a weird stopgap situation right now. And eventually we're going to get to a break between football and uh, the rest of college athletics that is much needed. 
And this yeah, I also the very beginning of that, really, or a continuation of those trends. I also want to point up something that you kind of implied there is, which is like how these teams use conferences as crutches, as as sort of excuses for um, things that they could just do on their own anyway. It's like my first thought when you said about Stanford and Cal was like USC and UCLA can play those teams if they want. They just have to strike a deal with them to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And and just in general, this is my big thing about about Michigan is like I want Michigan to have as few excuses to not compete, you know, as as aggressively as possible you know I, I want michigan to not have excuses to just do everything they can to win football games because what i care about vis-a-vis michigan football i don't care about all the other stuff and it was interesting to see i kind of expected to see from michigan fans more outrage about this but i couldn't i didn't see people really mustering much like how dare they how dare you sir kind of outrage about like big 10 tradition and i think it's just because 20 years of being mostly beaten down by ohio state uh, and you start to realize, well, yeah, you know, this kind of sucks. And they're, they're like structural, like our institution is not making all the optimal choices they could. And the structure of this sport is not all necessarily optimal for us. And um, anything that dispels sort of the myths that I think have gotten between Michigan and being as good as they can be, um, from my selfish point of view as a Michigan fan, is great. From the point of view of a Northwestern fan or of a Cal fan who wants to drive to a USC game, like different calculus. I do firmly believe that from the point of view of Michigan fans who just want to win football games, this is great. Yeah. And I don't even know if it has to be any more complicated than uh average fan looks at schedule, sees UCLA on it or USC and goes, Oh, cool. Um, and like, that's it. Like that, that's going to be the reaction for most people. I think uh, when it comes down to it, um, it'll get more granular as you get into um fans who are more deeply into it. But I, I think for the average fan, they're just going to be um, excited to see more football games between power five teams. Uh, and I think eventually we leave that power five group of five split behind and, or formalize that split so that uh, we stop pretending that these teams are all playing for the same thing. Uh, speaking of all this, uh, it's Oklahoma week on at home field apparel, uh, noted Southeastern conference member, uh, Oklahoma, or at least it will be anytime sometime in the near future. Um, I would normally tell you to use the promo code bucket problem for 15% off your first order. Uh, but if you, uh, check at home field apparel on Twitter, uh, note that is without the last E in apparel or the only E in apparel. Um, if you check, uh, their Twitter account for more details, um, uh, they have a link for anyone who wants to sign up for their emails and, uh, SMS messages. Uh, those people will get 15% off their order, early access to the Oklahoma collection, and, uh, they'll be entered to win the entire collection. So, uh, go do that. Um, and, uh, we are also brought to you by the, by PointsBet. Download the PointsBet app and use the promo code BucketProb to get 100% of your deposit matched up to $1,000 in the form of free bets. To get that bonus, you must use the promo code BUCKETPROB, that is bucket, P-R-O-B, all one word. Please gamble responsibly, set limits, avoid chasing losses, never bet what you can't afford to lose, take breaks when you need it, and use the self-exclusion feature to stop yourself from gambling. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, we're just going to talk about the 14 teams that are currently in the Big Ten right now. Um Dan, you have gone through every position group and uh, ranked them and ranked uh, 
more Big Ten players than I I, I want to think about for your sake. Actually, <laughs> uh, you spent uh, a lot of time examining things like Iowa's offense, which is deeply disconcerting. Uh, but that means that you have a lot of information to bring us about uh, the outlook of Big Ten offenses right now. We're as always going to go through them from last to first and uh well i, I might have given it away but let's get us started with the the worst offense in the big 10 both by uh personnel projection and uh god knows that adding in their offensive coordinator does not help matters right yeah if there was a coach section on this i would have them like 23rd <laughs> um but uh so yeah at number four coming in at number 14 we've got iowa um I have their quarterback room ranked 12th, uh, offensive line ranked 14th, wide receiver ranked 12th, running back 14th, tight end 4th. So good tight ends. Way to go, Sam um, Laporta. Yeah, good, good for you, Sam Laporta. Sorry about the rest of your team. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is going to be bad. There's no reason it's going to be good, right? I don't – this is a, the bad offense coordinator that runs a dinosaur offense. They don't have any skill talent to speak of at all. Um, they have a good tight end, but they don't have a good quarterback to get in the ball. And, you know, their offensive line is just not what you think it would be for an Iowa team. Right. I mean, you know, their offensive line was bad last year and they lose like the best center in the country. Um, I don't see how there's any reasonable way to like project this offense to be good at all. Um, they just don't have any playmakers and they don't have any creativity. Um, and, uh, their quarterback stinks. Um, so yeah, 14th, I think. I wouldn't say with a bullet, but definitely like, I, I feel like it's, it's firmly, firmly in the bottom tier. Um, I, I don't, I don't really see a whole lot of upside for it either. I mean, like there's just not, there's, there was no promising skill players on this offense. And um, it also required so. huge gains from the offensive line because they had Tyler Goodson who like tested remarkably well for an NFL bound running back and they could not deliver him at the open field at all. So even no. if, if their skill players were good, we wouldn't have any way of knowing. I mean, I basically like I watched Iowa a few times last year. I never saw Tyler Goodson do anything, but he's going to be a good NFL running back. Like, I think if anything, their their offensive line being last in the conference somehow feels too generous to me. Like, and and that is remarkable. Um, I guess it's because that one kid chose to be a farmer instead of becoming a guard for Iowa. Uh, really would have really would have helped out the cause. Um, and like Dan said. I mean, you, you can't really have upside on a, on a Brian Ferentz offense because he will find a way to snuff it out. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on up, relatively speaking, we have number 13, Indiana, or sorry, Illinois. Same thing, um, but let's continue. <laughs> same thing. Uh, quarterback, 13th. Offensive line, 13th. Wide receiver, 11th. Running back, 4th. Tight end, 6th. Um, so, the best thing you can say here is they have a good running back room. I think Chase Brown is a really, really um, solid player, uh, but they just don't. I mean, they're they're going into the year with a pretty dismal uh, options at quarterback. Um, their offensive line was pretty good at run blocking last year, but they lose everyone from it. Uh, and they just don't really have a lot of good wide receiver, um, you know, downfield threats. I think their best receiver is uh, Isaiah Williams, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. Um Tight ends are, are good blockers, so at least you have synergy between, like, the running backs and good blocking tight ends. So if they could, like, surprise me and get a good offensive line going, then you've got a pretty solid running game to build off of. But um, I just don't see, see see there really being any way. Like, this seems like a second-year slump for uh, Bielema, who I think has done a good job thus far. But, like, his um, 
his offensive line, uh, it just it, it he did a good job turning it around last year, but they lose everybody. Um, so I, I think you know this is this is one where I like what Bielema is building. I think it's cool to have another team that's like just uh, going to try to do Wisconsin. Um, and he's got the running backs for it. Uh, and so like long term, I, I like what Bielema is building here, but this year is gonna is is gonna be pretty rough. It's hard to pull off Wisconsin without a high-level offensive line, and it's even harder when your quarterback is Art Sikowski. Right. Yeah, Wisconsin's basically doing it with a high-level offensive line and their version of Art Sikowski, um, and they're barely doing it. it so. and it's, a, it's a struggle right now. We'll get to that. <laughs> right. Uh, okay, moving on up. Um, number 12, we've got Indiana. Uh, so quarterback, eighth. Um, I think Connor Baslack is totally decent. Offensive line, ninth. Wide receiver, 13th, running back, 11th, tight end, 12th. So what you're looking at here is, I mean, I think the the upside for this this group is that they're getting a, what has to almost has to be a better offensive coordinator. You would um, think they, so, but it's Walt Bell. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's got to be better than Nick Sheridan. I'm sorry. Uh, no smoke, Nick Sheridan. Um, but, you know, they've got an okay offensive line, and they should be able to protect him okay. But there's just no skill talent here. Um, but I'm kind of banking on like maybe they, they get some new offensive ideas in and they can unearth uh, a, a previously unseen, um, you know, a, a previously like unknown um, offensive skill talent. Because otherwise it's, it's still going to be rough, even though they they should have like a competent offensive line and quarterback. Yeah, I have no further thoughts on them. Other than that, I don't think Tom Allen is very good at uh, identifying coordinator talent on the offensive side of the ball. No, it seems like he's actively very bad at it. (laughs) (laughs) He he Um, accidentally struck gold once and every other swing has been real questionable. Yeah. The the fact that Nick Sheridan was not the worst OC in the conference last year says a lot about the Big Ten. And also that he hasn't been the worst OC hire of Tom Allen's uh, uh, Indiana career. says a lot about uh, Tom Allen's Indiana. But uh, good good luck with that extension. Um, You remember when people were just picking them to like finish second last year? And it's like we just had totally forgotten that they were Indiana and it was football. And also um, that uh, the 2020 season might not have been totally reflective <laughs> of every team's talent level because uh, COVID happened. Uh, right. Yeah, it was. A yeah, I, I, I definitely uh, did not. Um, I definitely did not overreact in any way. Uh, oh, to same here. The COVID not year. at all. So <laughs> De- definitely did not think that uh, Indiana Rose Bowls soon, soon were coming. <laughs> Uh, number 11 Rutgers. Um, so Rutgers has what should be a pretty good offensive line. I have them ranked fifth, um, quarterback 11th, wide receiver 10th, running back 13th, tight end 11th. Um, you know, slightly higher than, than Indiana, because I think that they have a good offensive line to build around that if they build their entire offense around, like kind of the, the college running game that they had last year, we could, we could be talking about, you know, maybe a frisky offense, um, but the skill talent, like they, they always have good running backs. They don't have a good running back this year. Um, they don't really even have like their one good receiver that they normally have. So I think, I think it's pretty bleak here for Rutgers, um, which is okay. And, and I think, you know, Shiano's <laughs> second year, um, it's, 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 it, I feel like Rutgers and Illinois offensively are in a pretty similar position where you've seen some proof of concept, but it's just not going to be there in a second year where you're losing a lot of veterans. Yeah, that's that's entirely fair. And uh, yeah, I, I think expectations for both are uh, appropriately low. Yeah. 
Um, number ten. So this is kind of the upset of the of the entire thing here. I can't. Northwestern. This high. <laughs> yeah, I, this is this is like this is like some reasons for optimism for Northwestern. Oh and being my this goodness. High. Um, quarterback fourteen. Uh, offensive line fourth. Wide receiver ninth. Running back fifth. Tight end fourteen. <laughs> so this is really can, about the the running backs. <laughs> yeah, offensive. You got offensive line and running back and. Like that's a good place to start, right? Like that should be a solid running game if they can figure it out. Um, and then if they can just find anything at quarterback that's not Ryan Holinsky, then 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 you're then you're maybe cooking because they've got they've got at least an, an interesting wide receiver run, like wide receiver one. Like if you squint and you look at um, the, the top of their wide receiver room, the running back room, their offensive line, and then. Um, just you gotta find, and then you squint harder, and you just play. don't look at the quarterbacks at all. <laughs> right? Then, then you could maybe see a functional offense. Um, so I think the upside, if they could find a quarterback somehow, the upside is pretty high. But uh, it's that's I'm not hopeful for that. Um, and and the fact like quarterback being 14th and 14th by some distance is is uh, is really what's holding them back here. Uh, I'll yeah, be honest. I, I, this feels like 10th is like their. I won't say their hard ceiling, but. I'd be surprised if uh, there were four worse Big Ten offenses when, when it's all said and done, just because somebody else is going to walk into a, some level of quarterback play that's probably higher than what Northwestern puts out there. Yeah, I mean, like I, I actually don't think there's any other team in all of Power Five where the sentence "if they can find a quarterback" is scarier than for Northwestern. Um, I it's. It's remarkable how bad Pat Fitzgerald is at that dimension of like recruiting and cultivating talent. Um, and, and even when he does find guys who like end up in the NFL, they are not good at Northwestern. No, they're absolutely not good at North. And, and I mean, I also want to cement this take from last week too, which is to say Malik Washington is actually one of the most impressive players in all of college football because to put up objectively good receiver stats, which is a position that requires someone to throw the ball near you. Uh, at Northwestern is one of the most impressive things you can do in this it, sport. It defies but, the concept. <laughs> yeah, absolutely it does. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. I, I hope yeah. we have no further thoughts on Northwestern. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, uh, that's, that's, that's up for our friend Bang, and that's it. <laughs> um, next up at nine, Minnesota. So Minnesota's pretty mediocre across the board. Um, quarterback nine, offensive line 11, wide receiver eight, running back eight, tight end three. Um, so running back, it should be mentioned. They're probably gonna be higher um, just because you're, I, I wasn't, I wasn't in the business of projecting uh, what, oh my God, I'm totally drawing a blank. What's his name, Mace? Mo Ibrahim. Mo Ibrahim was going to do. Um, so, you know, like, I don't think there's anything that really, that, uh, that really stands out here. I mean, Brevin Spanford is a really good tight end. Um, you know, the, their offensive line loses a ton. Uh, it's been pretty good the past couple of years, but you know, I just don't know if there's if they can really replace it consistently. They at least proved they could put together a good offensive line, which is right, which not is like what half the battle about everything else on, on this list so far. Yeah. Um, so and you know, Tanner Morgan, he's ninth, but he, he's a veteran presence. He's not terrible. Um, Chris Altman Bell has shown flashes, uh, and then Mo Ibrahim should be really good if he if he comes back from injury strong. So I think this offense could could move its way up a little bit. Um, but like as where things sit right now, I think they're pretty solidly mediocre. Yeah, and Mo Ibrahim, as I hate to say, it's not a guarantee that he comes back at full strength after an Achilles injury. That's yeah, just... right. And I think that's I think that's the biggest thing is just I would look. I would love it to to, to him to come back full strength, hundred percent. But um, Achilles injury, injuries are just not a sure thing. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I would I would like this offense a little bit more. But also, when you hear the offenses that are ahead of them, it's not 
I, I don't think you can really justify putting the Gophers a whole lot higher than this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so next up at eight, I feel like this is a little bit low for them, but I, I, I think I'm waiting it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think I'm waiting it correctly. Um, Penn state. So quarterback seven offensive line, 12 wide receiver, two running back, seven tight end nine. Um, so I, when I look at this offense, like, yeah, it looks like a normal Penn state offense, right? Like really good skill talent, at wide receiver, um, questionable quarterback play, terrible offensive line play. Um, underutilized tight ends and like good running back talent that doesn't get to shine because of the bad offensive line. And, you know, like, I think that honestly, I think there's a, a, a good amount of good offenses above Penn state. Um, I think Penn state definitely has a potential move up just because their wide receiver room is a lot better than I thought it was going to be. But I just don't know if Sean Clifford's that get that dude. Um, and this offensive line sucks and it's just has always sucked. Um, there's a lot of talent here, so they can definitely move up. But I, I just like when your offensive line is that cataclysmically bad, it really does drag down the rest of your offense. This is the team that has the most to answer for. Like this is, this is, I think it's accurate. And I think it's shameful um, that it's in this condition. Like they just have no excuses. Uh, If somehow they ever feel the good offensive line, they, they should be higher than this, but like, you can't really argue with it given what I've seen from the last few years. And it's finally starting to hit them in the record instead of just like it looks bad, but they're still pulling out games. They've been four and five in the big 10 each of the last two years. Uh, so, that, I mean, there's reason to believe that it might not get better. Um, and I mean, they did fire Kirk Chiraka who had Minnesota immediately snapped back up because they liked him as an offense coordinator. Um, so I don't know in, until there's proof that they're the problems are not kind of specific to James Franklin's Penn State um, as kind of a continuation of uh, no, I mean Bill O'Brien's teams at least could sort of block. Um, yeah, like I, I don't, I'm not going to believe that Penn State can put together a like functional offensive line, especially since they still are putting guys in the NFL off of that offensive line uh, until you know we actually see it happen. Yep, a hundred percent. So. Moving on up here, uh, I think this is – I think Wisconsin – so ne- the next team at number seven is Wisconsin. I think I probably could have switched with Wisconsin and Penn State, and you you would have an argument for either one. Um, but quarterback, 10, offensive line, 3, wide receiver, 14, running back, 2, tight end, 5. So this is just like – you know, this is going to be a classic Wisconsin offense, and it's going to be a classic Wisconsin offense and a classic Penn State offense, and you have to decide which one of those you like better. Um, you can't choose neither. <laughs> um, I, I choose so, Braylon Allen, and I think that's the differentiator here. Yeah, you've got and also, Braylon and Allen. also a better offensive line. Yeah, Braylon Allen with some good tight ends and a great offensive line blocking for you, and then really just a tough wide receiver room. But if they could just get if if Ches Malusi or not Ches Malusi, um, you love Ches Malusi. <laughs> I, I, I love Ches Malusi. You are totally that's, that's in the boy. bag for Ches Malusi. <laughs> if they could if they could figure out something in wide receiver, have like one downfield threat, then you're talking. Um, and you know, look, Graham and unfortunately, they might have the bleakest wide receiver room in the conference. I was going to say, really if Wisconsin can find a downfield room. receiver, that, there's a sentence for you. It, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's their tight end surprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should just put put some of those guys out of receiver, honestly. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like, I think that um, you know, Graham Mertz is uh, is kind of the X factor here. Like, if he could, you know, he's going to be in a perfect situation. I mean. 
besides the receiver, the aforementioned receivers, but like he's going to be protected. Well, he's going to have a strong running game. He can throw to his tight ends. Like he likes to do off play action. If he can just step it up and be better, like this could be a good off, a really good offense. But as it stands right now, I think um, middle of the pack is where they belong. They deserve to be. Um, There's just only so much, you know, we saw it last year, like teams can stack the box. You know, it's, if you truly like the, the wide receiver room, at Wisconsin just doesn't have anyone that can be you one-on-one if you've got just decent corners and the tight ends can only do so much. So you can put eight in the box against this team and you can have your safeties firing hard. And if, if you're getting decent pressure, you're just not going to get bit by it on play action. So um, the run game is a great place to start, but I just don't know if it's enough to really crack them into like the top tier of offenses in the league. Yeah. I mean, people, probably forget this about last year's Wisconsin game, but Graham Mertz was really dealing it until uh, Daxton Hill absolutely turned his ribcage into dust. Uh, but Michigan uh, could afford to set Dax Hill on a blitz uh, without really thinking twice. And they were teeing off on Graham Mertz at every opportunity because like, yeah, they, they did not have to respect that passing game at all. So like, even though Mertz made some pretty amazing throws early in that game, Wisconsin never had a chance to stay in it and uh, they never had a chance to establish a ground game because um, yeah, I mean, I think this offense is set up to wear out bad defenses and then run into a wall against good ones. Um, And that's certainly what happened to them last year. Absolutely. Um, On up into the part of the, the rankings where I feel like every team has a shot at a pretty good offense um nebraska uh so yet again we've got nebraska high making me look uh which is definitely not gonna extremely credible and weeks. good yeah. yes <laughs> um quarterback four uh i feel like um that's it's under talked about that they pulled in a really good uh transfer from texas um offensive line seven wide receiver six running back nine tight end seven so pretty much across the board like average to good uh rankings no nothing really stands out but if quarterback's you've got, important. Like, <laughs> quarterback's important. Um, and, you know, the offensive line being taking a step forward is what I'm projecting just based on how much they return. Um, if that doesn't happen, we're talking about something different. Um, and even running backs, you know, I think I think they had like a pretty um, promising duo with Jaquez Yant and uh, the other guy. Um, look, I'm remembering a lot of names in this podcast. I, I, I want to get credit for that. There's a lot of names here. Um, Jaquez Yant what, what, like, what had, did not have much usage, but he was promising in, in the uh, carries that he got. Um, their wide receivers are, are pretty like pretty average, but they've got a lot of talent there. And uh, I think Travis Vokalek uh, was a really solid tight end. So you know, across the board, like, I don't think they really have a, a, a weak spot necessarily. And if you don't have like a glaring, um, you know, weak spot that pretty much puts you in the top tier of offenses in the big time. <laughs> yes. And, and in general in college, football, unless you're at the very top level of college football, you are going to have some glaring weak spot, on, uh, you know, every unit of your team, most likely. Yeah. And as we know about Scott Frost, uh, his Nebraska teams have been characterized by the sum being far greater than uh, <laughs> <parts>. so <laughs> should be great. Oh, boy. This, this exercise is going to be really good at projecting Nebraska, where I just take all of the parts and I'm like, okay, this should be exactly the sum. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. I mean, I think like I, I really do want to make a point here that I think um, like one of the keys to having a, a good college ball team isn't necessarily like having great top end talent. Like the, the best, the elite teams have great top end talent at almost every position, right? And that's what makes them great. 
but having a really solid uh, team is more about not having any bad position groups because every team almost in college football, almost without fail has one position group. That's just like an absolute black hole. And if you don't, if you can avoid having that, you can win 10 games. <laughs> um, yeah. Even good teams have that. We've seen Ohio state's linebacker room. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh, next up Purdue at number five. Um Purdue uh, climbing up these rankings. So quarterback two, um, we, we love Aiden O'Connell. We've talked about it. Offensive line eight, you know, they're pretty good at pass protecting wide receiver seven uh, based on some of the transfers they, they've taken in um, running back 12 tight end two. So some uh, you know, really this is off the strength of like, they should be able to protect. They've got some decent options at receiver. They've got some really good tight ends. Um, and they've got a great quarterback. Uh, they've got the second best quarterback in, in the conference. And um, if they if they had a little bit more coming back, they'd be a lot higher. But I think just off the strength of Aiden O'Connell and just how lethal he was, especially at the end of the year, um, this this offense should be pretty good. And and, you know, I also this is a thing where, you know, we talked about Iowa's offensive coordinator bringing them down. <laughs> Jeff Brom runs a really good offense yes. and uh, he's he's gotten more than the sum of his parts on offense, at least on offense um, in his time in the Big Ten. So. I, I trust Jeff Brown. I trust Purdue. I think that uh, having them at five is 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 pretty much like unquestionably where they should be. Uh, yeah, there. If anything, they should probably maybe maybe move up. I mean, I, we're going to hear about the strengths of the other teams, but like <laughs> I'm a well, I'm a big believer in. I like the Jeff Brown offense. Uh, I think you know his, his big problem is just losing like, David Bell is tough. I, I he's done a very yeah. good job of recruiting receivers, and I think some of the concerns about Purdue because of Bell's loss are overblown, but. I also don't necessarily think they have another one just waiting in the pipeline. Yeah, they've had some really sick receivers the last couple of years that that, that it's going to be hard to make up for that. I agree. Um, I, I do believe in the Aiden O'Connell experience uh, at quarterback. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get Dan's we'll get Dan's takes about um, this sort of superior quarterback play in the teams above Purdue. But uh, I, I like this team. Yeah, no, this is, this is where I'm having so much fun with this. Um, I'm really glad that I'm going to get to uh, keep talking. <laughs> the next two. Um, <laughs> so uh, number four, Maryland. Um, so before you you know start ridiculing me, uh, quarterback number three, offensive line six, wide receiver three, running back 10, tight end 13. Um, you know, Tua, we've talked about uh, Talia Tagovailoa <laughs> um, enough on this podcast. Um, at the very least, he's a competent quarterback that can get the ball where it's supposed to go with some pretty with with good accuracy when he's on time and on rhythm. Um, at, at worst, Those were a lot of qualifiers. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at, at, look, there's a lot of bad quarterbacks in the Big Ten. All right. <laughs> uh, but at worst, you know, he, he tries to force some things. So, look, I think it's it's reasonable to expect him to take another step in his, his second, you know, or I guess third full year starter. Um, offensive line wasn't very good last year but they bring literally everyone back. So I think it's fair to accept it, to um, expect a step up there. Wide receiver. Um, they have a great wide receiver room. Nothing really much to say there. You just know. has to stay healthy. That, that's just has to stay healthy. There. That's, and, and it's not just talented. Like they produced last year when they were on yeah. the field. So, you know, the quarterback offensive line wide receiver that, you know, pretty much makes like a, a pretty, what should be a pretty potent passing game that should put up some points in, in some uh, fun losses. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but then, you know, running back and tight end, like I kind of do trust Maryland to find a running back. They, they tend to find like one guy that, that can, uh, you know, they can do some things with, when he's in the open field um, tight end. I don't expect much from, they just don't use that position almost at all on this offense. Um, 
but yeah, no, I think like off the strength of like with their passing game being fourth, like being right above Purdue, they have a lot better skill talent than Purdue. Um, I, I feel like it's where they should be. And I, and I feel like the teams above them have a, have a good argument to be above them. So yeah, number four is where I'm putting them. Yeah. For as much crap as we've given you about Talia having Rakeem Jarrett and Dante Demas to throw to is very helpful to any quarterback and, uh, gives Maryland as good a receiver tandem as anyone in the conference outside of Ohio state. Yeah. He's got the guys to be a gunslinger. Um, they can make him help him look good. I'm of course much more bearish than than Dan is, but like, yeah, I think this is reasonable. Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. I mean like, look, even if he, even if he doesn't take a step forward, you're still talking about a guy that like is chucking the ball downfield to some really good receivers. Um, And we've seen worse offenses than that, you know? So I was going to say like, if you, in college football today, the simplest path to success is to chuck it up to good receivers. I hate that, but it's the truth. So yeah, absolutely. Penn state won a conference title off of that. At the very least, like you're letting variance take a role that uh, Iowa is not allowing it to. (laughs) And that, yeah, that, that can least. help that can help you in, in, in can you football. imagine Dante Demas if you played for Brian Ferentz getting past one yard past the line of scrimmage <laughs> targets? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was uh, his name was Amir Smith Marset, and I was gonna say kind of a bummer. <laughs> uh, all right, moving up to the top three here at number three, we have Michigan State. Um, so yet another, I know yet another, I, I don't think you really argue with it. Um, no. I'm, I'm being a homer once again, uh, quarterback five, offensive line, 10 wide receiver, four running back, six tight end eight. Um, so here's the thing with Michigan state, right? I think like this offensive profile, you might be tempted to look at and say like, Oh, they, they, they built around like what is an un, a very unstable core. Like I think this offensive line could be very bad this year, just based on, um, their how bad it was last year quite frankly and what they lose um and i still think that's true but we've kind of seen proof of concept from mel tucker that it actually doesn't matter if his offensive line sucks if they they can make a good offense out of just good skill talent and um you know peyton thorne was was a very good quarterback last year he's probably going to take a step forward in his second year starter Jaden reed is very very good and trey mosley is a great number two option um and uh, Jarek Broussard was a really solid running back at Colorado. Um, so, like, we've seen proof of concept from this team that they can uh, they can build an offensive line out, or they can build an offense around, like, just skill talent. Um, also, their, their tight ends are, are, are pretty good as well. Um, so, yeah, I think this is – I think this could be a – basically just kind of like a lesser copy of what we saw last year where instead of Kenneth Walker running for like 70 yard touchdowns, it's Jarek Broussard ripping off like 30 yard gains, but that's still a really good explosive offense. Yeah. Dan, I think the, for a the very one thing, specific kind of explosive, but yes, <laughs> the one thing you failed to consider here is how could Michigan state be the third best offense in the big 10 when they suck? <laughs> Damn. That's so true. <laughs> I do. I do worry. I, like Kenneth Walker was so good at making yards out of like getting hit two yards in the backfield. And I do think Jarek Broussard is good, but Walker, I mean, he might be a starter in the NFL for a long time. Uh-huh. Walker I, was sick. Yeah. I, I, I do worry about, well, I don't know if I'd say I'm worried, um, but 
if I were a Michigan State fan, I would have concerns about their ability to stay ahead of the chains enough to make the offense at all efficient. And uh, I mean, they've already been pretty big play reliant, but if they lean too much more in that direction, that that might kind of cause the offense to to collapse. But at the same time, Mel Tucker has done quite well with some with a pretty rickety foundation. So as he keeps batting his guys, that that might remain a top five Big Ten offense for the foreseeable future. Yeah, no, I like what Jay Johnson's done, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, what can we say? Um, so uh, moving on to the top two, I think these are the top two offenses pretty much with a bullet. Like, I think this is they're kind of in a tier of their own. Well, it, it probably two different two different tiers, <laughs> frankly. Uh, well, yeah. But uh, these these are the top two by some distance, I believe. Um, so number two, Michigan um, quarterback, six offensive line, one wide receiver, five running back, three tight end one. Um, so this is kind of like a, what, you know, a super Wisconsin. So like great offensive line, great running backs, great blocking tight ends that are also good in the passing game. Um, they've got, uh, and they've got, you know, uh, at least serviceable quarterback, um, with the potential to be a lot better and, uh, good wide receivers with the potential to be great. Um, so the question here is like the, the floor basically is, I guess, I guess what I would say is the, the question for Jim Harbaugh's offense in the past is, can this team be consistent enough through the air to keep, uh, safeties and secondary players away from what they really want to do, which is run the ball on almost every down. Um, and last year, the, the answer to that was yes. And it was a very successful offense, probably the best offense of the Harbaugh tenure. Um, the question this year is, you know, the, the bare minimum is that it's going to be that because it's pretty much everyone coming back, um, exact same offense. And, and I'm, I'm assuming Matt Weiss is going to run basically the exact same offense that, uh, Josh Gaddis did. But the question is, can the passing game now go from like good enough to hold up the running game to good enough to stand on its own? And this offense go from, you know, just good to elite. Right. Um, that's the biggest question, but I think the very least it's going to be a very good offense and I don't really see it being anything other than the second best in the conference. Yeah. I, I mean, know. yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the problem is like, you know, this could be a very, very good Michigan offense, you know, potentially the upside is like one of the best we've seen in a long time and still has, you know, very little chance to be better than Ohio state's offense. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, what can you, what can you really say? I will say this about Matt Weiss, by the way, um, he actually better be an even better OC than Gaddis who did have a great year last year. He better be better because he is not doing shit on the recruiting trail right now. So <laughs> I want to see some damn, I want to see some damn napkin plays, man. Let's see it. I, th- I thought we all agreed not to discuss that. <laughs> I, I didn't say the acronyms. I just said, I just said Cruton. That's all. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm high on this offense. I think the question is just like, you know, look, w- going through it, I was surprised that the, you know, the, the quarterback and off and wide receiver came in, um, good, but not great. And I was surprised at that. And the question is if they can be great. Um, and we've, we have not seen a truly great quarterback or wide receiver. Um, I mean, we've seen very good wide receivers, uh, at Michigan under Harbaugh, but we have not seen one be like truly dominant, um, or there'd be like a dominant group. So that's the question this year. And, um, and there's reason to believe, but you know, it's also a Jim Harbaugh offense. So we might also, we might just be, uh, resigned to running the ball, um, effectively, but you know, not quite being in the lead offense. Um, 
So again, yet again, uh, I think I think we're gonna have more fun with the defensive part of this uh, these previews. Thank God. Um, but uh, Ohio State number one with a bullet. Um, you know, number one quarterback, number two offensive line, number one wide receiver, number one running back, number ten tight end. Um, you know, only because they don't use them. <laughs> yeah, because they don't they don't use them. Because why would they? Um, there, there's nothing to see that, to say here. Um, no, I guess and also nothing to see here. Let's let's. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Keep you know, moving. they're, they're, they're very, very good at what they want to do. Um, when they're, when they're in like favorable conditions, they're going to throw the ball. They're going to protect the quarterback really, really well. Um, and their wide receiver is going to beat anyone you have, like your third quarterback cannot, st- your honestly, your first cornerback can probably not stand up to wide re- to, to their third wide receiver. Um, but certainly your third cornerback can't stand up to their third wide receiver. They do a great job with their passing concepts, just like, exploiting mismatches like they're just not going to let you they're not going to let you play anything but man coverage and then when you play man coverage they're going to beat the hell out of that um you know uh cj stroud is is a really good quarterback in his own right and he's in an ideal situation jackson smith and jigba is unreal um and then yeah trevion howard like is is a really really good young or oh my god trevion howard trevion uh henderson is a uh, really, really good young running back. And Mayan Williams is a, is a true running back too. Um, so no, nothing much to say here besides that. Um, I guess the biggest question is like, do they evolve their running game to the point where, you know, if for some reason the passing game isn't clicking, if they're in adverse conditions, like can they fall back on the running game and, and be dominant on the ground as well? Because well, What type no of adverse they... conditions could you possibly be referring to, Dan? <laughs> like, like if it's like lightly, you know, if it's a light lizard or um, like, you know, it's, if it's just flurrying like like off and on, it's not really uh, sticking to the ground. Like in those kind of horrendous conditions, could they still be effective as an offense? An absolutely brutal 34 degrees. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think that's the biggest question here is like the, the passing game is going to be elite. There's just no question about it. Can the running like someone along this schedule is going to get them in a type of game that they don't want to be in and they might just go ahead and win it anyway. But like, can they dominate the type of game that they don't want to play um, is, is the question here. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would add that the thing about um, recent Ohio State quarterbacks is because they are in ideal situations, you know, if you are able to get pressure you know, if you're able to sort of figure out the various devil's bargains you have to make to try to get pressure and, <laughs> and the best way is just to have, you know, maybe the best edge players in the country that that helps a lot. Um, then you can you can rattle them because they're not used to seeing pressure very much uh, easier said than done. Um, I don't know that Michigan or any one of the Big Ten can really do it this year, but like that is that does tend to help. So they've, they've also not quite. I mean, I think the one area that you can really knock this current Ohio state coaching staff for is that they have not translated their absurd amount of offensive line talent into tremendously high level O lines against elite teams. They've had trouble with pass protection in uh, even sometimes against regular teams. They just, their wide receivers get open so fast that it usually doesn't matter, but um, you know, they're not getting, tackles drafted at the top end of the draft and considering the guys that they've pulled in for a while now like we should be seeing more of those guys and not just guys from the interior of the line um but that has been i wouldn't say the achilles heel of the ohio state offense because they've still been quite good even when teams have an advantage on them in a certain area but this isn't you know, this is probably one of the two best offenses in the country, but it's it's not totally unkillable as we found out last year. 
Yeah, if you get them in a snowstorm and they have a flu and you have the best edge rushing duo in the country, you can do it. That's yes. my that's my uh, pep talk for all the teams that are playing them this year. And by do it, we mean like hold them to 34 points and uh, or no, 27 <laughs> points and like 400 yards of offense. Yeah, yes. simple. <laughs> that's <laughs> modern like, college football, baby. Yeah, that's, you can, you can uh, get like three stops. <laughs> that, that might as well be a shutout. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think I think this is where I'm at. Um, I think. Uh, Interesting takeaways. Um, it was interesting. I think Cade McNamara really came in lower than I thought he was going to in the quarterback section. Um, I think it was interesting to see Maryland kind of hold up under scrutiny a little bit. Michigan State having like I didn't realize how good Jaden Reed is. That's on me. Um, also, Trey Mosley was really good. Um, Aiden O'Connell. I did not realize how good he was. I also didn't realize that Purdue had good tight ends. Um, you know, Nebraska is definitely going to make me look uh, very stupid. Um, and, uh, yeah, for the rest of it, I mean, like, you know, you would, you would kind of expect like the, the bottom is the bottom. Um, and there's some really, really bleak offenses, um, and pretty much like Northwestern and below that's going to be tough. The, the bottom five is exceptionally bleak. It is. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Northwestern is at the top of it and that feels reasonable is horrific. Um, and, and we have only three of those teams are from the Big Ten West, so we can't even say it's a it's a divisional thing. And we have to celebrate these uh, horrific, depressing offenses this year because this is the last like year of the true Big Ten. So we have to do what we do best, which is play offense from 1992. Don't we have one more year? Or two? Oh, whatever. Who, well, whatever. who knows? I was trying to give an inspiring <laughs> speech there, Dan. I was yeah, trying to make that's people fine. Iowa fans right. feel better. I, I was being and I was being pedantic. You're right. Cherish these <laughs> Illinois Northwestern uh, big. Usually, the guys, situation so. is reversed, where I'm trying to make a cool speech and you're being pedantic. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think. Uh, wh- wh- where do you guys think? Uh, who has like the 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 biggest upside, biggest downside? Uh, you know, moving up and down. I mean. Penn State, if they manage to actually put, if they get what they should out of their talent, they should move up. But I have no faith in that. Um, we'll see. But I mean, talent-wise, they should not be eighth. Um, Wisconsin, kind of the same. If they get their offensive line back to um, peak Wisconsin instead of kind of the B plus version of Wisconsin we've seen the last few years, and I don't know, I. I I think Purdue has the potential to fall down because they are Purdue and also they lost David Bell. Um, And other than that, like it's hard, like you can't fall below 10. You just can't. If you're one of these top nine teams. It's Uh, impossible. So, I I mean, I, I, I can see Michigan state falling just because they have the worst offensive line of the top group. And that offensive line, if, if it's, if it's simply bad, they'll have a good offense. But if it's horrendous, like it could be, then they could re- like it could just collapse the rest of the offense and around it. And it feels like they've gotten away with the just like chuck it up to one really good wideout offense for longer than they should. But um, it has worked for longer than it should. So who knows? I, I think Michigan State will fall because they suck. That's my take. Um, <laughs> I guess I also think, I mean, obviously Nebraska, like I, I think Nebraska could very well be in that sort of upper, you know, edging into the upper third of the big 10 potentially. I just like Nebraska could finish Nebraska. anywhere between uh, two and nine uh, in this ranking. And it would yeah. I mean, me. that's, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. They're, they're also the one team above that bottom group that has a chance to slide into it just because the the chaos mode that goes on over there. But um, 
I don't know. I, I kind of think I'm kind of bullish on Purdue this year just because I feel like the Big Ten West is going to be even worse than usual. And I just feel like their chances to put up numbers with like a legitimately a legitimately good quarterback in the Big Ten West is a terrifying prospect for that league. So yeah, we, we did rank them as the top offense in that division, even though they are only fifth in the. Conference. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Look, let, let's just talk Big Ten West real quick. So number let's let's go first to la- or last to first. Iowa at 14. Illinois at 13, moving on up to Rutgers at 10, Minnesota at 9. North, Northwestern at 10, but, you know. Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> Sorry. I, I did have one beer uh, this podcast. So, Northwestern so at Dan 10. So, Dan is wrecked right now. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I went for a run. I haven't eaten. I had one. I had a tall boy He was beer. born That's, in 2014. <laughs> All of this is illegal. We should not be encouraging this. Uh, Northwestern at 10, Minnesota 9, Wisconsin 8. Is like the next big powerhouse. Seven. Nebraska six, or yeah, Wisconsin at seven. Nebraska six, Purdue five, and That's Purdue five is, is is the top of of the uh, of the food chain. I mean, that is like the top four teams are Big Ten East. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, one thing we didn't really delve into in the first segment was um, that the Big Ten is very likely to follow. Um, the ACC and SEC's example and uh, move towards pod scheduling while calling it something else because uh, they don't want to credit Bill Connolly. Um, but uh, that will be good. Like this, this both will um, oddly enough, like get you to play some teams more frequently uh, and also lock in uh, some permanent, opponents and it's just I, I think a better way of scheduling so um for people who don't know what pod scheduling is uh, essentially um you have a certain number of annual protected opponents usually like three and then um you rotate through playing groups of other teams um so eventually you play the entire conference within a certain number of years and uh Given that it sometimes felt like, you know, like, is Minnesota a rival anymore? I don't know. Like, they do play for a trophy, but it sure doesn't feel like it. Uh, like, that that when Bill Connolly wrote out the likely, like, three protected opponents just to give Michigan a break from having uh, an absolutely brutal schedule, um, you put Minnesota in as one of those three protected teams. Um, and that turns out nicely for Michigan, because otherwise it's Ohio State and Michigan State, and then you're looking at like Penn State or uh, Minnesota, and I'd prefer Minnesota there. Jim Harbaugh is going to insist on the absolute most brutal pod he can get, so just strap in for that. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. <laughs> hopefully he does not have a, a significant voice in these discussions because he'll ask for, like, Alabama. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, like, the, the pod schedule is just something that I'm excited to see get put in motion in other leagues, and hopefully it comes to Big Ten pretty soon, and Given that they've like deleted all of the future conference schedules from every team's official website, I think they're uh, it's safe to say they're moving in a different direction, and we're probably not going to see this ridiculous east-west imbalance anymore. And that will be good for um, particularly the teams in the Big Ten East that are not Ohio State, and also Ohio State. But um, I think it'll be good for the conference as a whole too, because uh, uh, this did not quite play out geographically the way they wanted it to when they set these divisions up uh because uh uh it is not 1994 and uh tommy frazier is no longer nebraska quarterback and that's that's a real big bummer for them as it turns out 
Uh, but Taylor Martinez still has somehow. I, I don't know how that works, but he's still <laughs> under center back there. That, all this means is, like I was saying earlier, every time an Iowa running back, uh, you know, takes a handoff where the quarterback turns all the way around and gets hit three yards in the backfield, you have to savor it because the Big Ten West will soon be no more. So yeah, soon we're going to be like we're going to be have to watch uh, Lincoln Riley actually run offense, um, and that's going to be honestly like very traumatic for a lot of Big Ten fans. Blasphemous. It's going to be yeah. It's going to be a real tra- traumatic event. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, it will be. Um, that's all for this week. Uh, follow at Bucket Problem on Twitter. Go to www.thebucketproblem.com and uh, read all about how every single one of the coaches in the Big Ten is wildly overpaid. Um, I- I'm kidding. It's only like 12 of the 14. Um, <laughs> subscribe to the newsletter of the podcast. Uh, please rate and review us. Um, it's uh, we we could use some more reviews. Uh, it's been a little while. Um, use the promo code bucket problem at homefieldapparel.com. Check out that o- Oklahoma collection coming up this weekend and uh, use the promo code bucket prob on points bet. Uh, thank you for listening and have a great week.